to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. This evening, I'm joined by the one and only Steph Stradley. How are you doing tonight? I'm awesome. How are you doing? Oh, I'm awesome too. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that you are as well. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about the Texans with you because I know last year whenever we did so, the, everything was like entirely different. One, you could go to a football game. Two, you're able to travel outside the country. Three, the Texans were playing good football at that time. And for Bill O'Brien was head coach, and since then all those things have either gone away or have completely changed. So it's a very it's very different talking to you a year later um, than where we were at last year. Whenever we last spoke, yeah, you know, I, I tend to be a person that appreciates some basic things in life, but 2020 has made that um, more so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It really has been something where. Like, uh, I'm at the point now too, I'm like, every moment is you know, beautiful and precious and perfect. And whether it's, you know, watching the Texans play a new, beat New England yesterday, or even just like, you know, going for a walk and having the weather be nice. Uh, I definitely have kind of taken that mindset as well too. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is not a great season for the Texans, but you know, if you had to hit the hard reset button, uh, like my, like I, you know, I know what I think about the team. You know what you think about the team. I'm just appreciative that that they're playing. Like, you know, we don't even have a guarantee that we finish out the season, but every week that we have a game, we should appreciate it and appreciate the effort that they're making for us. Because, you know, some people can't even leave their their rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And and like, you know, being a Texans fan this year is really complicated. You know, even with COVID-19 and then even without COVID-19, it kind of has been just with the team starting off 0-4 and Bill O'Brien being fired and having that entire season be over from a win-loss ramification standpoint, you know, probably for the last two months or so. And we're kind of watching the team, like, enjoying the games as they're occurring and having fun watching them. But at the same time, like, it doesn't really matter if they win or not. And so it's hard balancing that, you know, that act of being really here in the present, enjoying the game and not being too wrapped up in the future with head coaching searches and Jack Easterby and general manager searches and watching the game still at the same time with that same eye on the future and what things that we're seeing right now that can be stretched down to, you know, 2021 and what the next good Houston Texans team could possibly look like. Yeah. And there's still so much season left, you know, like, you know, I, I, in some ways you don't want to jump the gun because, you know, every week can cause something different. Mm-hmm. And the complexion of things. And so, like, right now, you know, you just have to mentally wrap Deshaun Watson in bubble wrap and protect him. Um, but, like, he's learning. So, like, you know, he's having a great season. You know, despite the fact of their start. Like, if you were to design the worst possible way to start a season, it would be the way that the Texans 2020 was like, it was just a murderer's row and you completely changed what you're going to be doing on offense because you got rid of Deandre Hopkins and you knew your defense was going to be bad and it was bad. So (laughs) 
like, you know, you don't want to be going into a season knowing that you're going to have a bad defense and you're going to be facing those quarterbacks. And that's what they did. And now they're kind of getting their their footing under them. Um, and we can see what happens for the rest of the season. But, you know, I'm very curious about what next year has has in store because, you know, I know some people are pretty down on the Texans prospects in the future, but I really believe that the offensive coaching staff has held this team back. Uh, I don't think that they have all the personnel that they need on defense, but as we discovered in 2011, you know, if you get a good, a good defensive coordinator who knows what he needs, you know, just, you know, fixing some things in terms of teaching, and getting a couple pieces and parts can make a huge difference. From you know, 2010, they had one of the worst defenses in the league. In 2011, they had a better one. And frankly, they're going to face um, an easier schedule next year, likely, um, because it would be pretty hard to have one more difficult than what they've already faced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I I do think like going for next year, like as long as Watson's here, they could be it. They could and they should be you know, potential playoff team to get next year. It's just going to be up to the next draw manager um, to like really hit on just about nearly most of his moves. And then the next head coach to get the most out of Watson as a passer. And like, I think Tim Kelly's done a better job than Bill O'Brien and Watson by the efficiency numbers has been like a top five quarterback this year. But I think even then, I think they've he's barely even scratched the surface on yes. like, what a Deshaun Watson offense is capable of accomplishing. Well, they're doing this without a running game at all. Like, <laughs> I don't want them to be running, you know, every first down and all, but like, have you seen anything that they're doing on offense where their running game looks this bad? Like how, like it would be hard to intentionally have a running game this bad. And, you know, in watching some of the games earlier, it's like opposing defenses are seeing something because they're just not having it. Yeah, and I, I know we kind of talked about that earlier this year with there being kind of tells on the offense from a run game perspective. And you, you'll see kind of like them go, you know, two tight ends the same side. And you'll see Darren Fellas kind of hold on to uh, Farrell Brown or Jordan Akins' leg. And you're like, yeah, they're going to run outside zone to the opposite yeah. direction. Like things like that, or they have a flex swing tight end position. You're like, oh, okay, they're going to pull him and they're going to run this. Is um, this repass option that you know now we know it's already coming here? You know, Baltimore and Pittsburgh really blitz that pretty well, but lately it just kind of seems like they're trying to run more outside zone and kind of sticking with that. But I think the biggest problem with that form is that the right hand side of the offensive line with Zach Fulton, Tyus Howard, they can't block outside zone at all, and then the left hand side with Max Sharp being Calamente there. They can block it, but they can't block those like inside power sort of run plays. And then Nick Martin's a pure kind of zone center. But whenever they have to actually like give vertical movement, you have half the line can do it, the other half can't. And then whenever they have to create like horizontal movement and reach guys and get to the second level, the left hand side can do it, but the right hand side can't. And so it just leads to a lot of blown blocks. And then I think there's also just kind of like general like misassignments a lot. And you know, I know Sharp in the last two weeks has been especially egregious at that. And I think they're also just kind of like from a run blocking perspective, they're kind of meek. You know, they don't have a, like, a, they don't just kick enough ass is the way I like to describe yeah. it. And uh, there's a lot of hand holding, it kind of feels like. And they don't really, you know, unbuckle any, um, any chin straps at all either. And they come off the ball. And so, like, that's what I'm seeing whenever I watch the run offense. And, like, that's even, I've been thinking about, you know, 
what David Johnson was doing when he was healthy and how little broken tackles he had. And Duke's been better than he was, but it still isn't like the type of running back who can carry entire rush offense on his own. Well, yeah. I mean, especially you're running somebody with his size right in the middle of the defense. Like, do you really think that this is going to (laughs) work? Let's do it on first down so we can make sure that it's second and long. Yeah, and that's I mean, and it's it's funny also listening to the broadcast because they describe you know David Johnson as them missing him as like some sort of like big bulking running back, and David Johnson's like you know two hundred five I think, and he's like six foot. It's not like he's Derrick Henry at all, or um, or that's some sort of like you know big sort of running back who actually can carry things through the interior like that. You know, David Johnson's like Duke, but just was, not as good at it. He was never doing that. He was never doing that, and that wasn't who he was before he came here. I mean, it's just. You know, in some ways, I mean, I hate to say it, I I enjoy watching the offense more with him not on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree because it's just kind of sad watching you know, David out there, like not being able to make a safety miss and not coming tied off like the back of a down block and running strike. You know, it's important rush lanes and you're not making anybody miss. So, I mean, I hope he gets better. I hope he you know, gets well. Oh, sure. They use this like pass offense where he gets like 10, maybe 10 carries and they throw him the ball a lot more. But, you know, that being said, like, they they were worse with him on the field. Uh, but before we get too miserable, I kind of talk about some of the good things about yesterday. Yes. And uh, with the idea, like, because there was a football game yesterday and I think we kind of, we've lost that a lot um, this year from being, a, from you know, following the Texans and our favorite football team. And uh, the idea here is like these are good things that occur with you know some sort of eye on the future and what it can mean for like maybe a good uh, the next good Texans team. So the first thing is Deshaun Watson, like you mentioned, and he accounted for ninety five percent of Houston's total offense and all three of the touchdowns that the Texans had. Um, he's the entirety of this team and franchise. Do you think yesterday was the best game that he's played this season? Uh, this season, yeah, but I mean, it, it's remarkable to me how many things I have seen him do that I have not seen quarterbacks do like for any team, like he's his own person and really fun to watch. I mean, I, I think, I think it, it just, it, it, I would like to see him be on an offense where I think that the offense is really working towards his strengths instead of him you know, kind of just doing extra, like he does things that, that are just amazing. Like, um, I mean, I joked about it online about him doing that jab step Mm -hmm. (laughs) where he suckered the defenders to come inside and then he ran outside. Yeah. I remember that play. Exactly. I think my favorite play kind of talked about it. They talked about it. It's like, look, he, he drew them in and then he went out and it's like, Oh yeah, he did that <laughs> because he had to do that. Yeah, it's a good way. That's, that's good. not the play design. the The play design is not that, but he has to do some things that are not in the play design because the play design doesn't always help. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I think my kind of favorite play like that was whenever. New England ran like a blitz to the other side of the line of scrimmage and they spied him on the other side. It's really an example, like as a defense, like how you can funnel the ball to how you want it. And so it leads to Watson, like this one versus one matchup against 
uh, Josh Yuki. And you know, Yuki kind of tackles him high and is able to bring him down. And the other guy kind of hits him on the head the way down. And like even though he didn't make the play, though, like whenever he rolled left or whatever, and it's one versus one, that matchup, where he has to get like you know seven yards for a first down, I just you know, immediately thought, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to get that. And it's going to be easy. And you know, he oh, didn't yeah. get it that time. But like there's just such a... Like manifest destiny on third down whenever he has the ball in his hands that you know, he should be able to get if he runs forward and uh, it really is kind of strange where it's always the opposite side you know, being a Texans fan when you watch the quarterbacks that they've had here before that oh third down he's scrambling he's never gonna get he's not gonna get anything yeah. at all and with Watson now it seems like an undeniable fact he will. Well, he's so strong for his size. I mean, he's really like you better get him or else you're not gonna get him. Yeah, and he had that touchdown yesterday too, where he you know ran through two Patriots defenders throughout the goal line, kind of like Andre Johnson, kind of like Andre Brown yesterday. It was only two; it wasn't like four or five like those two guys accomplished yeah. before. Uh, but he was able to score through like that too. Well, but at the same time, you're watching that and you're like, "Please don't have <laughs> that happen," because I mean, you can't think that way when you're playing. You can't go, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to get hurt." I mean, you're going to. That's how you get hurt, I guess. But, I mean, I have so many mixed feelings watching that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think this was the best game he had yesterday, too. And the Patriots don't have, like, a great defense. I think the, I think they're better than, they're like, the numbers say that they are. Like, I don't think they're a bomb five defense. Um, I think they've kind of had, like, some bad luck, and they haven't taken the most of some of their opportunities, and they don't they lack a bunch of they lack a difference maker in their front seven and their pass rush has been bad and they can't tackle very well and all those sorts of things but I mean just like how like easy it was for Watson you're picking apart their man coverage and whenever you know nothing was open immediately right away he had the ability to you know escape in the other pocket and change the throwing lanes and create on the run and you know I think he had 50 he had 50 plus rushing yards this game and led the team in rushing yards too and was able just to create on his own whenever the offense didn't allow him to do so and uh, like he completely controlled the entirety of the game, and I think it was really great, like how you put it, that like you know he did it because he has to do it, and uh, like he's his own person. It really is like that. Like he just kind of transcends whatever the offensive play design has been this year. And this was another good example of that yesterday too. Well, and and I, I will say that New England pass rush is is bad. Like if if they're not getting real pressure on him with that offensive line and the struggles that they've had. Um, over the course of the season, then you have a bad pass rush. <laughs> like you know, so part of it is like, should I give should I give the offensive line and you know the play calling some credits? Like, no, I think that they were just not not very good, and and they didn't do any kind of exotic pressure that was challenging to the line because that's what we've been seeing for a good portion of, of the season where, you know, some of those delayed blitzes have given them fits or they haven't just passed off, you know, basic stuff. Yeah. I think there's a good Jeff Fox where they joke in there where uh, if you can't get <laughs> pressure against the Houston Texans, you might have a bad pass, a, a bad pass rush. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely, that was kind of the strange thing about new England's, like game plan this week was they play a lot of man coverage, but they only blitz like three or they only rush four and they didn't run very many stunts. Like you mentioned, they didn't do very many exact things. And I think that was kind of one of, the, one of the things I really like about whenever Houston goes spread and goes into like five wide receiver sets where you can have Watson with the offense spread out and just be able to like pick his matchups pre-snap. And you know, Houston's receivers are like good and they're good enough to be able to beat man coverage against, you know, like the fifth cornerback and that sort of thing. 
but also whenever you go that spread spread out, if you blitz, like you're you're really leaving yourself kind of naked behind that. And I think New England was kind of fearful of you know of going of spreading out that far behind it, and then being worried of missing one tackle, and then Watson takes off for you know 35 yard gain. So that's why they didn't blitz that much. And I think it had some of it to do with how often Houston went to like empty and spread sets and like. For me, whenever I watch the Texans play right now in offense, like that's all I watch for. I like just yeah. spread in empty formations because that's the future and that's what the next great Texans offense will be built around. It's Watson and you know five wide receiver sets, Watson and you know four wide receiver sets. Like that's the that's how the game is being played right now. And the next guy that comes in is gonna run an offense like that for him. Well, yeah, and you've been wanting to see it. Like there was nothing worse than them going, Oh, well, he's getting hit too much, so we need to keep people in, you know, keep the tight ends in, block extra, and all that would tend to do is just kind of get things all jammed up and not giving him the space. And, you know, he has such good vision. Mm-hmm. Th- that was the greatest part of that game, is because some of some of the throws that he did were just some amazing throws. Yeah. They were so on target. And when things are spread like that, you put so much pressure on defenses and he has such great vision that he can make, he can make teams pay. And, and, and he's doing this without a real running game. (laughs) Because, you know, a lot of, you know, he's, I guess you don't put him quite in the young quarterback category, but you know, he's not an old quarterback either. But a lot of times the quarterbacks that have had durability in the league have had kind of a running game to kind of take some of the pressure off, especially when they're younger players. And he doesn't have any of that. Like he has that, that run offense is terrible. (laughs) Like I know we've already talked about it, but it kind of blows my mind how terrible it is. And maybe it's that we saw so many decent run, running games under a scheme that had, you know, that encourages good running games under Kubiak. But this is just, this is awful. <laughs> like it's hard to have a, a running game that terrible. Yeah, I, I've watched, I always make sure I've watched the film from the game before, and sometimes it may take me until, you know, the following Saturday or whatever. But I watched the Cleveland video on Saturday, and it kind of ruined my day watching how bad the run blocking was. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to enjoy my life today, and uh, and this is kind of ruining it right now. Uh, but, you know, with that being said, like, I do think, I think you kind of mentioned it too, like some of these throws that Watson made yesterday where he was better than New England's pass coverage was. So, like, even whenever they were able to bracket receivers and have good coverage on, you know, Cooks and Fuller, Watson just out threw them and put the ball in the perfect spot and spots where they couldn't get to it. And then he was better their front seven, his ability to scramble, make plays out of nowhere, too. But, I mean, far and away, like, he was the best player yesterday. Uh, he completely commanded and dominated that entire game. And that was why Houston beat New England. And it's also fun, too, watching a Texans team where, like, New England isn't as scary anymore because of yeah. how good Watson is, and he's 2-1 and one against them, in his, or 2-2 two and two against them in his career, and has had, like, three really, you know, great performances against them so far, too, which is unlike anything we've seen before as Texans fans. Well, and this is, you know, the, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking this is the game that gets your next GM and gets your next head coach. Mm-hmm because everybody looks smarter when there's a quarterback who can do things and is smart. Like he's, he's a really smart player with who, who has good football smarts, but just good overall smarts. And so that's, 
that's a great combination. Like it's just so attractive to build around somebody um, that is just so dynamic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and today, you know, going back to like his smarts or whatever, you know, Rick Smith was on it, was in an interview today as he's trying to get like a new general manager job. And he talked a little bit about, um, opened up a little bit about the decision he made to trade up and select Deshaun Watson. And I think that's one of the things that we kind of forget about like in, you know, March and February in April, whenever we watch these guys for the upcoming NFL draft and after they get selected, seeing how they fit on rosters, that sort of thing, is that we don't know any of these guys individually. Like, we don't know how hard they work. We don't know their soft skills. We don't know their leadership. We don't know how much they care and uh, care about the game and those sorts of things. And, like, they coaches get that from the interviews. And I guess you can kind of guess stuff from, like, you know, John Gruden's quarterback camp or whoever's running it nowadays. But like with Watson, that's one of the things that has always been you're really tremendous about him from the very beginning with how like you know, he's handled his press conferences to you know how much focus and commitment he's had to the game. And uh, and that's also kind of the sad things about this year too, where it's like, you know, uh, he's so much fun to watch and I think kinda of like his fans like we care a lot about him. And it sucks to see him like sad and upset and go through any sort of like, you know, troubling season at all. And uh, so did you watch the, did you listen to the Rick Smith interview today? And if so, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um I, I think the you know, he basically talks about how that draft, that draft day went that, you know, he did his, his research. He, he talked about Mahomes going off the board and just trying to sell, you know, trading up into that spot and telling him about a deal that he had in his pocket and that he couldn't really get anybody really on board. And then he talked to, to O'Brien and then O'Brien's like whatever their conversation is, he doesn't get into it, but you know, they went for it and they did it. Mm-hmm. And, and my first thought is, well, what was their plan B? Yeah. I mean, thinking back, what, what would they have done? More of the same garbage that they wasted a good portion of JJ Watts career, just a bunch of random quarterbacks yeah i was taking a shower today and i had the exact thought i was because i was thinking about that day when they selected him and drafted him and i was like what the hell would they done otherwise if they didn't select him like would they have selected deshaun kaiser and kaiser's kind of a good case of like you know his video showed this in their dame but then he said things about he, how he still thinks he's gonna be a, an mvp one day as he doesn't even have a job and so like maybe yeah. there's some sort of disconnect about him as a person what reality is and maybe there's just like leadership issues with him on his end. And that's why he didn't work out. But he also went to a really bad uh, spot with Hugh Jackson there. Maybe they select him. There weren't any good free agent quarterbacks at all that year either. Like, do they, I don't know, do they trade for A.J. McCarron at that point in time? Like, what do they do? And uh, I, I really have no idea what they would have done if they didn't trade up and select Watson. Like, do they stick with uh, uh, Brock Oswald for one more season? which probably would have been like the worst result they could have had, even that would have saved them a second-round draft pick. But I really have no idea what they would have done that year if they didn't select up and take Watson. Well, you know, I I was at the draft party that year, and I there was a there was a very short period of time where I'm thinking, I might die because it was the chaos of the fans <laughs> when it was clear that they were moving up and getting him. It, it was like, it, it was a mosh pit like no other. Like I was having people land on my head and I'm like, 
this would be the dumbest way to die, but at least <laughs> Houston Texans would have a quarterback. Yeah, I feel like that every single time I go to a concert and you're being you're no longer being like a 19 year old at all. And if I actually get pushed to the front, it's like, no, I do not want to you know break my neck as a as, you know at this age being up up in the front of a, a you know concert like this right now at all. I remember whenever he got drafted because I was driving out to West Texas and my phone blew up. It was just like, oh my god, they're gonna do it. What are they doing? Oh, they took him. They actually have a quarterback. They selected Watson, and it was you know immediately fun after that. Yeah, and I have to say that um, I'm not always, you know, everybody has their own views of incoming players. And I have to say that my own biases are that I am not usually very impressed with rookies, you know, because I think I think just generally um, the, the way kind of you know, draft Twitter and, you know, just draft in general fans tend to have like this kind of hope in rookies and, and are kind of like, uh, you know, veterans, you know, like we know what this guy does. And so they're almost too high on, on rookies and not high enough on experienced players. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those people that I was impressed with right away. And there's only been a few players like that. Like I was that way with D'Amico. I was that way with, um, DeAndre Hopkins, although not enough, like I was impressed with him, but I had no idea that he would become the player that he was just, you know, I I mean, cause that's just kind of crazy. JJ Watt was impressive right away. Like his first day um, at at camp, I mean, he was swatting down everything right away. (laughs) Like it didn't necessarily show up on the field right away, but you could, you could see it and the people in Wisconsin could not have been any higher on him. And then, but Deshaun Watson, his, what was, what was interesting to me was just, you know, he had his press conference and you, you knew that there were certain things that um, Bill O'Brien did not like his rookies to say, right? Like he had like, he had rules about how anybody conducted themselves with the media and what was interesting to me is Deshaun had a way of communicating his views on things that were unique to him, but didn't kind of fly in the face of what Bill O'Brien doesn't like in his quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you Brock Osweiler, every time that he would talk to the press, I'm like, oh my gosh, Bill O'Brien probably wants to murder him. Because <laughs> he was saying way too much and in, in ways that you knew that O'Brien wouldn't like now that, that he had a good enough sense to connect to people in a way that was smart. Like, you know, and, and the other part that's kind of interesting to is, is that he came into the league with people already respecting what he accomplished in college, like really respecting him and respecting his story without him having to say it because he did it. Like that's, you know, we can talk about all sorts of things and, you know, sometimes it seems like, you know, they go for like players that are good BSers, you know, and, you know, Deshaun can talk a lot of stuff, but I mean, the things that he does is what's really impressive. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause I know like a lot of draft stuff, you kind of get lost that 
you know, I, it's the idea of potential. And like you, the hard thing about it is that you're watching a guy and then you have to take, it's like science fiction where like you see something and then you have to extrapolate it, you know, a thousand years in the future and what this would yeah. look like. In the case of the NFL, of course, it's like, you know, one year later in an NFL environment instead. And like, I remember whenever I watched Watson, like immediately was like, oh my God, he's incredible. But I just didn't know like how much better he could get. You know, that was like, the big hangup I had about him. It's like, I, I mean, he's already really incredible. It seems like he's maxed out his ability. Like how much better could he get? And that ended up being kind of like the best thing about him that he came in, he was great immediately. And there really wasn't, you know, all that much improvement from like a physical or you know, accuracy side and like all the mental stuff and ability to read defenses and knowing to pick his shots and how to you know, escape from the pocket. Like all that stuff kind of, you know, he got better at, you know, over the past, you know, three years or so. Um, and every year in the league, he's gotten better too as well. But like just from like a like a physical you know, standpoint, like that idea of potential really wasn't there from it because it, it did seem like he was already there. And I really um, I kind of whenever whenever I wrote about him, that was kind of my big hang up on him. It seems like you know now looking back on it or looking back on it now, like it's such a silly thing to be hung up on. Uh, like how like can can a really great player get much better? And it really doesn't matter at all. And that was the case with Watson this entire time. Well, yeah, and and I think what you alluded to earlier is a big deal, which is, you know, especially with the quarterback position, a lot of that is just who, what the mentality of that person is like, yes, they do need to have physical skills, but there's a certain mentality in being able to work with people and be able to lead people. Um, And he just, he, he just seems very mature. And, and some of these assessments are really hard to make from the outside. Like, I think that is actually one of my um, difficulties with, you know, the whole transition of, you know, new GM and new head coach is, you know, we can know about people on the outside and we can know of them and seen their work before. But, you know, some of these people are kind of, you know, question marks of, of the people that are are being considered and and really the thing that I'm going to be looking at the most is what kind of staff can these people put together mm-hmm. yeah. can they put together a staff that makes sense because oh that is the biggest failure of Bill O'Brien's time with the Texans he did not put a good staff together he put a staff together that was like a bad Xerox copy of the New England <laughs> Patriots, which is, you know, you have the brain, you know, the brain in Bill Belichick, and then he just pulls in whatever people and he can, he can coach the positions as well as the position coaches can. And, um, and then he just learns them up his particular way. And that works for him. But I think that's kind of difficult to replicate. And Bill O'Brien's offensive staff you know, he went through one offensive line coach for one year and then got rid of them and then got, you know, the current one. But if you look at the whole offensive staff, it's like, this is, you know, you don't have to learn up people. This is a multi-billion dollar business. You know, you don't have to like learn people up on the job, get good people Mm -hmm. that know the positions and can coach them up. And it's really hard to kind of find a staff that you trust as individuals and that you are good at working with. But at the same time, they're also really good at their jobs. And, you know, it's the NFL. It's the highest 
form of football. They should be able to get this. You know, they're not an expansion team and they need to get a, a badass staff together. Yeah, that's a great point. And I know like whenever it comes to O'Brien, some of the failures that you know he's had or he had in Houston, um, I know Seth kind of talked about that before too, where you know, he, he kind of felt like there wasn't like a lot of high level coaching going on. And then you kind of hear in uh, you know the, the stuff with the players afterwards where they felt like they couldn't make, make, make mistakes in practice at all. And so they were you know, kind of afraid to take risks. And then whenever the game happened, mistakes were made. They didn't have the chance to kind of get that out of their, out of their system you're going into it. And then that's such like, you know, kind of basic level, like development stuff. And yes. even like, look at the team itself too. It's not even the fact that, you know, their draft picks have been bad necessarily, or that you know, they lost the first round pick by trade for Watts. And they lost the second round pick um, by trading, you know, having to trade Brock Osler's contract. And they lost, you know, two first round picks and a second round pick for Tunsil. Like regardless of all that stuff that occurred, they still haven't done a very good job drafting anybody in the third round or second round and then develop them and turn them into, you know, an actual, like, really good, legitimate player. And uh, they just have had too many, like, developmental misses. And that even includes, like, what do we even do with this player? Like, we've seen Lonnie Johnson Jr. this year and Max Sharping and Charles Amenahu and, uh, and, you know, like, a variety of offensive linemen they've selected before, too. And so it's also just, like, not getting the most out of the, the resources that you have at the same time. Well, I mean, I think part of that is philosophical. Like, I get the desire to have players that are versatile, Right. But versatile shouldn't mean tweener. Versatile should mean that they're actually good at something like they need to be good at their primary position. If, if they're not, if they're kind of a tweener that can do this and that and the other thing, but they aren't great at their primary position. Those people are going to be starters. You don't want starters that aren't as good. You know, like, like, oh, well, this guy can play this position. No, get somebody who's good <laughs> at that position and who, even if they need to be developed, has the potential to be a starter at that position. And I think part of the issues that the Texans have had just in selecting people is you don't have to hit as much if you're a better coach. And I think that they almost had like an arrogance that they could coach up anybody. And, and they weren't that good. Like, you know, one of the things about the Kubiak um, offenses is they could get lower round picks because they had a system that, that kind of valued, you know, offensive linemen, for example, who can move, right? And they weren't necessarily the biggest, most dominant guys, although some of them were. Um, they just wanted people that could move and they, could, they didn't have to draft as high for all of their positions. But if you're not good at coaching, then everything ends up being, okay, we're going to overpay for a left tackle and we're going to do this and that because you can't coach them up. And, and unfortunately, what happened for the Texans for so long is they were depending on their defense for so long that and the offensive-minded head coach did not coach up the offense enough. And so they kept on drafting on that side of the ball and let their defense get old and and kind of run off and then they you know they had the issue that a lot of teams have which is it's hard to replace solid players it just is and you know the best teams like the Steelers generally have done a pretty good job of kind of having players in 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 the wings waiting for their chance and and the Texans the biggest issue that the Houston Texans have had since their beginning is that they are not good at building a whole roster. 
you know, they pick a guy here and there and they give them a contract, but it's looking at the whole roster. Does this roster make sense? And a lot of years, the rosters haven't made sense. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I like it. Like even I, didn't, I really like what you said about the defense as well, too, because like Houston went from a really good team with bad quarterbacks to now a bad team with a really great quarterback. And they've invested in the offense the past two years and haven't gotten like that, you know, 31 point in game sort of offense out of it, largely because of the scheme decisions they made and a lot of the mismanagement of their resources and coaching at the offensive line, where they want to be like a physical team that can run the ball and control the clock. And yet they don't have the ability to do so as we laughed about their run offense earlier. And then, you know, two years ago, the Texans did have an all time great run defense. They now have the worst run defense in football this year. And uh, that's just because, like you mentioned, it's just been a general seeping out of talent and the inability to, you know, replace people and consistently, you know, make decisions that lead to guys being available and ready to step in for those spots where they lost guys. And then everybody else that was really good two years ago, the ones that are still here, are now two years older and aren't the same players anymore. And that includes Watt to a certain extent, and includes Bernard McKinney and Whitney Merciless. And uh, and then that's not even going into, like, everybody else that has left, you know, from that team two years ago at the same time. And like, like, yeah, like you mentioned, like they just haven't been able to develop any sort of cohesive roster at all for one season at any one point in time. And probably the closest they got to that was 2011. And that was the year, of course, where Matt Schaub's you know, foot got destroyed. Um, but ever since then, they haven't been able to find that, that sweet spot yet at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and teams do that. You know, you see teams that get, you know, like really good offense is bad defense or, you know, really good defense, bad offense. It's really hard to get a full team together. Um, but, you know, I, I think part of the issue with the Texans over time has been they, they seem to have a very limited um, kind of view of the NFL. Like, you know, for a while there, you know, there was like Charlie Casserly in the old school offense that wasn't kind of, modern at all where you know he denigrated you know draft picks below the third round because they normally don't hit I was like well no that's not the modern NFL the modern NFL means you need to get you need to hit in the lower rounds too you need to have some value of those picks and then you know we had the you know trying to be you know Denver South and New England South and but even those experiences the people running the show really didn't have the broadest experience or, you know, the best, probably the best part of that was, you know, Kubiak had a good sense of, of what personnel he needed on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, but they just kind of were out in the wilderness for a while on the de defensive side of the ball. And, you know, if you listen to the Rick Smith interview, he talks a lot about trying to find players that the coaches want to play. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to that. But at the same time, the GM has to have the bigger picture. And the bigger picture has to be, does this whole roster make sense? And, like, the, the current situation is, does, like, just looking at the defensive roster, why would you think that they would be successful? You, you couldn't. <laughs> Not from last year's performance, not by looking at, you know, the secondary personnel, not by looking at the front seven. Like, it never made sense. Yeah, and that was also, uh, you know, a team that only added Eric Murray to it last year in free agency, really, at all. And they had, like, you know, Michael Thomas and some 
uh, kind of like special team sort of players. That was like their one big addition. And this defense was not an Eric Murray away from being competent at all. And they kind of bent entirely on J.J. Watt being healthy to carry them to an average pass defense. And like that's when the important parts of that long-term you know, strategy and vision is one of the important things about having an actual general manager. And the Texans didn't have that Bill O'Brien as he pushed Rick Smith out and uh, you know, pushed Brian Gain out and then led to him and Easterby running things after the Casario um, highs you know, failed on there. And, and so like with that being said, like with Houston being where they're at, with, with them being projected to be over the cap next year, without first and second round pick next year, like, do you think this is a good spot for somebody to land if you are like an Eric Bieniemy or a potential general manager? Or do you think Houston may be passed over by like a team like you know the Jets or Jackson or Detroit or Atlanta or the Chargers or maybe even Chicago who may also be looking for a new general manager head coach? Like, do you think this is a good spot for uh, for somebody who's who's going to be like one of the top names at those roles this year? Well, I mean, I think I think every spot has the pluses and minuses. I mean, I think the biggest pluses for this area is Deshaun Watson. You know, it's easier to build around an existing quarterback than it is to, you know, have to find a quarterback and then build the rest of your team because you you are pretty much dead in the water if you don't have a quarterback unless you have some kind of miracle happening with your team. You know, you need to have a lot of luck if you don't have – a quarterback in a pass happy league. So that is the biggest benefit is they have that. Um, it's a good, it's a good general spot. You know, like as much as people denigrate Cal McNair, he's going to be writing checks. He shows some patience, although we don't really have a long enough track record to say exactly what Cal McNair is as the person running the show. So far it's been not good. <laughs> But part of that was, you know, he inherited Bill O'Brien and for better or worse, Bill O'Brien is a strong personality. You need to be a strong personality to run a NFL team. But that also hurt him, too, because he was strong in ways that were stupid. They were just dumb. He was strong in ways where... people should have been able to say no to him, but he was a difficult person to say no to. And, and, you know, it, like, if you're a difficult person to work with, you have to be really good, you know, and, and it's hard to attract staff if you're somebody that's just a hard person to work with. And so like, I, I think that ultimately I think ultimately that that hurt him. But I I think that the pluses to coming to Houston is I think that there's so much more ability that you could get out of the offensive side of the ball because I don't think that it's coached very well. Um, And the defense is going to need some help. But, you know, as we saw, as I said before, I mean, if, if you know what you're doing, you can you can pick your spots. But I think that they need a more general view of the modern NFL, an experienced person who who understands roster building and not just we're going to give this guy a contract because we like him and we're going to give this guy a contract because we like him. You know, we like lots of people and sometimes you just <laughs> get them all on your on your roster. Yeah, and I think that kind of that tough, smart, dependable thing too kind of goes in line with that. that. Yeah, well, 
It is very funny. But I think like that tough, smart, dependable thing kind of goes in line of what you mentioned earlier, where it did seem like Houston's idea was that, well, we'll get guys that we like in here, and then we can coach them up. But they never really had the ability to coach them up, even though they liked them in that sense of it, too. Um, do you think they're making the correct decision on Kyle McNair's in to want to hire a general manager first and then the head coach? Or do you think they should kind of go a different way about that? Well, you know, it does it does put a lot of pressure on getting the right GM. I mean, theoretically, you want the GM first. You want the GM to be able to like a you know our theoretical GM to to make the smart decisions to have a broad view of the of the NFL and what needs to be done. But, you know, the flip side of that is if you're a really, really good coach, you have options. And you might want a GM that is kind of more like what Kubiak got in his GM. You know, somebody who gets the people that he wants. And, you know, in some ways, the Texans have kind of, you know, you can learn from your mistakes. And the hardest thing about learning from your mistakes is learning the right lessons from your mistakes. And early on, you know, they had a very strong GM in Charlie Casserly, strong in the way that he would sometimes have players that that the coaches didn't want to play and they were not aligned. And so then, you know, the response to, you know, the Casserly Caper situation was to get get a GM who is very aligned with the coach. Uh, and, you know, part of getting Rick Smith in was that he had familiarity with, mm-hmm. you know, the Denver system was. And then keeping him with O'Brien, you know, he was not, oh, he was not, Rick Smith did not choose Bill O'Brien, Right. And at some point, you have to have kind of that trust between GM and and coach. And I'm not sure that they always had that. I mean, I don't know all the details about it, but at least from the outside, um, just the noises coming out of the building did not sound like they were always aligned. And so it's hard to find that kind of balance. And... And, you know, and then, you know, it's further complicated by um, Jack Easterby being in the building and what his role was with O'Brien. And, you know, is it, oh, well, you know, everything bad that happened was Bill, but everything good that happened was Easterby. (laughs) And clearly Cal McNair believes in Easterby. There's noises coming out of the building that you know, maybe he's kind of overstepping his abilities and um, and that maybe, you know, maybe that hasn't been a positive. Like everything bad that has happened over the last couple of years pretty much corresponded with him coming to the team. And, you know, are you being a good advisor if, you know, you end up coming up with this idea that you should have a flat organization GM by committee and then you know eventually called Bill O'Brien the GM even though Bill O'Brien was like uh it's a committee you know yeah I'm named the G-. like he was the most <laughs> GM ever and it was to give him responsibility for the things that were happening but this was completely untenable that Easterby was at the center of this untenable organization was a joke 
and still is a joke. Like he is the interim GM and everybody who talks about it says, yeah, he doesn't want the job. We say he's not qualified for the job. And yet here he is. And so the question is, you know, and you know, some of the reports out say that he's very close to Cal McNair, even in this short period of time. And even if he's demoted to football ops, which is a pretty big thing to be in charge of, a very influential thing to be in charge of, you know, does that change who the Texans look at for GM and coach? You know, even if, you know, he has a lesser role, you know, those informal relationships matter. Power structure doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter with titles. And so that's a question. And, you know, and this is really hard to talk about just generally, like, you know, it's hard, it's a hard thing for Cal McNair to to talk about because all these people in the building are trying to fix the plane as it's flying out of the sky, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, I think we're going to have to wait and see, but there is a lot of skepticism, you know, like, yeah, you know, with the things that the team has gone through and what the fans have seen, it's like, wait, you're you're just gonna blame everything on Bill O'Brien and say everything's cool now that he's out of the building because I'm not sure that that's the right lesson that you learn. Yeah, that I, it's I've every time like you talk about this stuff or as we've been talking, just kind of I can't help but laugh and kind of saying about like how absurd you know, some of the things that occurred. Um, these last two years have been like since the Brian Gain firing that summer, just like how uh, how just kind of insane some of these things that have happened are. But like you know, even with that current climate, with Easterby still involved in some sort of role, and you know Kyle McNair trying to hire his first head coach and general manager, like I agree with you. I do think this is a good uh, a good job for the next general manager and head coach, and for two reasons. You know, one, you have Deshaun Watson here, and even if you have some salary cap issues next year, and you have a first and second round pick. I do think like whoever comes in next year as a head coach can expect that they can get more of this roster than what Bill O'Brien was able to. You know, two, they have Deshaun Watson. That's the only thing that matters. And three, like the Texans aren't like really quick to fire people, and that's good yes. to a certain extent. But like, what's good about that though is that like you know it, it is it is hard to get a second head coaching job if you fail dramatically the first time. And so like at least you have that assurance that this won't be like a one year and you're done sort of thing, unless you go like you know. Oh, and 16 or something, of course, but at least like there's some sort of stability there and some sort of professionalism there where you do have the time to be able to turn this team to whatever it is that you want to turn it into um, after you're hired here by them. Well, and, and let's, let's put in, put in the world word for uh, no state income tax and uh, lower cost of living than some locations. Um, so we got that going for us, which is nice. Yeah. It's one of the great things about being a Texan, you know? Uh, so are there any head coaching, like who's on like the top of your head coaching list? And I don't, I don't know anybody, anything at all about general managers out there, but do you have a general manager that you're interested in to end up running the Houston Texans next year? Well, you know, part of me with the GM stuff is, is I know that there's some good candidates that are currently with teams and you can't talk to them, but then there's also some good candidates who you could just hire them right now if you want to. And part of me kind of wants that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause by the time January comes around, like, you know, okay, the person's going to be looking for where the light switches are in the building, 
you know. Um, it would be nice if they could get us, you know, a greater sense of the team right away. I mean, I have a hard time. I have a very hard time with, you know, I've I've heard all the names that are expressed from both GM and and head coach, and I don't feel I don't feel super strongly about them, um, mostly because of the thing that we talked about earlier, which is these are roles where you need to be able to talk to the person. And, you know, yeah, you see what they've done. You see what their background is. I want to see what the total plan is. I want to see, like, just not, you know, not what you've done in the past, but what is your plan for this team? What do you see is the issues? And a lot of that is just an interpersonal thing that you can read about people, but I don't really necessarily trust a lot of that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think it's a great way to put it as well, where it's like, we don't really, it's kind of the quarterback thing where you don't really know. Um, there's so much more that goes involved into it compared to maybe some decisions they made or even what offenses they're running right now as well, too. Like, who knows how much input Eric Bieniemy has in Kansas City. Um, like, for me personally, like, going with the head coaching stuff, like, I just want to see somebody who's like an offensive guy who can create yeah. like an offense around Watson and create like stability there on that end. Because like defensively, you can always find you know professional defensive coordinator who can you know, come in and run a scheme and um, and as long as you don't get like as long as you have accountability there and don't do what Gary Kubiak did where he like won't like won't fire his friends or whatever in that role, you should be okay in that spot. But I really like the enemy. I really like Brian Dable yeah. in Buffalo. I really like Arthur Smith in Tennessee. I like Greg Roman, and I know like a lot of people have soured on him recently because of what's going on in Baltimore. But you know, he's his quarterback can't throw the ball to the sideline. Their offense yeah. is like the green Tetris piece, which is just like the one bump in the center, and it's a and it's a uh, a flat line right below that. So it's three flat pieces, one and one little vertical piece in the middle. But that's their passing offense because of you know Lamar Jackson's on inabilities. Their offensive line's hurt. Their receivers can't win down the sideline. Everything is you know deep middle. His one receiver he has connection with is with Mark Andrews. And, like, it's it's been very limited like that. And, you know, with Kaepernick, too, like, Kaepernick was limited as a passer. Um, and their offense kind of got stagnated as well with, like, their super run-heavy offense. But my biggest issue with Roman is that he puts so much pressure on the quarterback as a runner. And with Watson, you know, being 26-27, about to make $35 million a year, like, as much as it, as much as you want to have Watson be used as a runner to some uh, capacity, you know, more so than O'Brien used him, you don't want him to carry the ball, you know, 15, yeah. 20 times a game. And so for me, like, it's Smith the enemy and uh, Dable for those reasons. And then some of the college guys, I'm, I'm not too sure of it all. But I, I'm just kind of all in on offensive guy for me. Yeah, I can see that. Now, what, I, what I'm pretty sure about and – I'm not sure is not going to happen is I don't want the new England show anymore. I don't oh, want exactly. I have a really hard time with how Josh McDaniels dealt with the Colts. Like I remember that day where he shined the Colts and they were announcing it. They were in the middle of announcing it and he shined them. And and after all of the, his staff had already signed there, now it turned out pretty nice for those people. Um, and I think originally Jack Easterby was supposed to be a part of that Colts crew, but like <laughs> that's that's an absolutely like low character thing to do. Like that's just a 
you know, to say that you're going to, you know, to, to opt out at that last second. And um, I'm just sick of the New England thing. I'm, I'm not sure that it's able to be replicated in other places. I mean, it, it just seems like a bad Xerox copy. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you on that too. Like, I don't, I don't like the Patriots. I don't, I mean, like, I, I appreciate them more than I don't like them like I used yes. to. Like, I used to absolutely hate them, and now I, I appreciate <laughs> them, and I appreciate Belichick and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's been interesting to see, like, how they changed their offense around with Cam, and I think Cam, like, has been very good this year, and, you know, he's kind of yeah. like a, like an old horse, you know, after how Carolina used him and, you know, battered him in the line of scrimmage as long as they did. But, uh, but yeah, like, I don't want to, I just don't like the culture of it, you know, yes. like it, it just, it makes it, especially with Watson too, like you want to let his personality flourish and let him be himself. And so like you don't want to like have a blanket tossed all over that with you know, the do your job thing and everybody's a team thing and that, uh, that mom mentality. And so I just don't, it just, it makes it for less fun football at the same time. Yes. Yes. I mean, there are players that can have any kind of coach and thrive in it. But having a coach that's a total bummer, they need to be a genius. And there's Bill Belichick, and then there's, you know, Matt Patricia, you mm-hmm. know, or there's Bill O'Brien, you know. I mean, I appreciate winning. Winning is fun. Winning is fun. But, geez, it, it's like they suck all the fun out. Like, if, if you run Gronk off, then you know what does that say about about your culture yeah and i mean just and also kind of in general too like you there's all these players that you really enjoy watching and then all of a sudden their value isn't worth anymore and they go someplace else and you know it's part of the game at the same time but uh that's one of the things that's hard about being a football fan is like these teams are really good or you get these players maybe like for two or three years of a window and they kind of span after that and really the only thing that matters is the quarterback at the same time too but yeah, I completely agree with you. I don't want to see anything New England. And that stuff you mentioned about Josh McDaniels, like that kind of that same sort of like personality problems that he's had, that affected him really in Denver too. And maybe he's learned since then the Colts thing doesn't really give an indication of that as well either. Yeah. But um you're kind of stuck in that same spot too at the same time. So regarding Bill O'Brien, one last thing though, is what do you think is gonna be the enduring legacy of the six years of Bill O'Brien football? You know, whenever we think about him like five years from now or ten years from now. You know, I have kind of mixed feelings about him because, you know, unfortunately, like the the things that you saw in press conferences wasn't his complete thing. But I just think that he was somebody who was just over his head and, and almost kind of ran off people that recognized that he was over his head. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I mean, he... I I don't I don't like leadership through abuse. I don't like that leadership style. And I think that he had too much of that leadership style. And you know, there are there are people that can thrive in situation in any kind of coaching situation and they're fine with leadership through abuse, but like he could be very charming or he could be really abusive and that's that's hard that's hard to be around. I mean, he got a lot out of the situations that he was in, but he was also the reason why they were in a lot of those situations. Like, Oh yeah, you're doing pretty good despite not having a real quarterback, but that's on you. 
Yeah, and I think the other thing about him too, it's like he was a, he was all about accountability for everybody except himself at the same time. And he yes. would say like, well, I got to do a better job, but then there was no you know doing a better job as well either. I think for me and the O'Brien thing is always going to be like I felt like we were in this reality at, every year, but at the same time, there's another reality concurrently going on where the Texans were a much better football team. And what I mean by that is I, I do think O'Brien got the bare minimum out of the tail on the roster, but a different head coach could have got a lot more out of it. Yes. And like that's not necessarily like an awful thing because there are a lot of head coaches out there who are actually they actually make their team actively worse by the decisions that they make. And O'Brien didn't really kind of succumb to that until he became the general manager at the same time. But like that goes back to you know 2014, his first year here, when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick and don't draft a quarterback or make a substantial investment into it. And that leads to Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett and Brock Osweiler. And so you lose three years of a really talented football team that wasn't completely rebuilt. And then you see that, you know, from 2017 on with Deshaun Watson, where a quarterback as good as Watson is on a rookie contract is like the holy grail of NFL team building. It's what led to you know, a Super Bowl in Seattle and Kansas City. It's led to, you know, what Los Angeles has done, what Baltimore has done. And, uh, and there have been a wide variety of other teams who have taken advantage of that rookie contract better than Houston did. And it's like this should have been you know, the best chance Houston has had to win a Super Bowl you know, last year and this year. And so they blew, you know, a 24-point lead against Kansas City, and now they're currently 3-7, and seven, and that's because of Bill O'Brien. So I do think, like, at the same time that he got the bare minimum out of it, there have been there was there would have been somebody else who got who could have got a lot more of this team in 2015, 2016, and even now today in 2020. Well, and I think the other part of that is, I mean, to be fair to him, we're trying to be fair. At some point, you just kind of throw up your hands and say, why, you know, he probably came to this team saying, why should I respect what the GM's decisions are on stuff? I have to coach this roster and this is what I have. You know? Like, you know, you got rid of Dwayne Brown. (laughs) Okay. Well, I (laughs) left tackle. You know, and, you know, we may not have all of the personnel decisions kind of sussed out, but at, at some point the, the coaching staff needs to respect who, who the GM is and what the GM has to bring to the table. And, you know, people in Houston understand how a GM can be a difference maker. And, you know, it, it blew me away that they they did not have a designated person who had the big picture at heart, but I can understand why he wanted more control because like, dang, I need a left tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's also interesting, interesting too, like, no, actually like who made that decision in 14 not to draft a quarterback because like, you know, if it was Garoppolo Carr or Bridgewater, like again, a rookie quarterback who's competent at $4 million for the team that they had, would have been better than, you know, yes. having Brian Hoyer there. And so, like, why didn't they take a quarterback then? Like, why was Ryan Mallett, you know, like, expected to be, like, a, a franchise quarterback after not showing anything at all, you know, except from having, like, a really strong arm? And, like, it's those sort of things at the same time. Like, it, it does seem like those fit the Bill O'Brien molded quarterback, even going back to, like, Matt McGoin and Christian Hackenberg at Penn State, of, like, that sort of mold that he wanted. And, and it seems more solidified, too, after what happened with, uh, with the Rick Smith interview all at the same time. So... The, the another question I have for you here is like even though all this stuff's for the future, but they still have to play six more football games this year. Yeah. Aside from Deshaun Watson, what are you most excited to watch for during these last six games? Oh geez. 
you know, that's just, I would say the development of young guys, but mm, really? I mean, they, they haven't really played much of it. I mean, I guess it's just seeing who survives and who thrives during this time period. But, I mean, I, you know, if I had a fast-forward button, frankly, I would just fast-forward in <laughs> January 2021. I yeah. mean, like, it. every time they talk about making the seasons longer, I think of seasons like this. And then I also think of seasons where where you know the team's good and you're hoping that they all stay healthy enough for the playoffs. I mean, this is just a lot of games, and I'd like to see some more development. Um, I just don't know. I don't know what lessons that they're learning right now. When you know, I I I just don't. I don't respect. I don't respect any of the offensive coaching at all mm-hmm. not one bit of it hmm. yeah i i mean it has to be about development as well too um at the same time like there's like some individual things that like i'm excited for like robert johnson made like two cut blocks on a screen pass last week at left tackle and Larry tensel hasn't done that once this year and so if we get another week of robert johnson this week i'm excited for that on thursday um <laughs> uh, i like i like pharaoh brown even though like he makes like He's not as good of a blocker as you kind of think as far as, like, flashes go. Like you see him, like, make a play in the broadcast, like, wait, Farrell Brown's a good blocker, and then you watch the video. You're like, yeah, he makes one out of ten blocks, but that's more than um, Titans here previously has made all at the same time, too. And then uh, and then I like um, – we get Kahali Waring being activated this week. That's very exciting. And then, like, Jonathan Greener used a long arm. I'm ex- I want to see Ross Blacklock use an actual pass rush move. He hasn't done that yet this year, too. And so those are like some individual development things I'm really excited for seeing. Okay, you're you're doing much better than me. What I where I'm at right now is I'm almost at the like because so much things will change once you have a new GM sorting out a roster and and the coaching staff like actually knowing you know, knowing more (laughs) like right now I'm, I, I, I gave up on doing game previews because at some point I just felt like I was kicking puppies, (laughs) you know? And, and, and at any, at some point you just don't want to have to analyze things and just kind of watch it. It's like get more data and and see see where they're going with things because right now it's just you can analyze it all. It it, it very much reminds me of two thousand five, mm-hmm. and the two thousand five tape was so bad there was not a lot that you could take from it, mm-hmm. and that's how I feel with you know like. Yeah, you can see like, okay, this guy might be able to play. This guy's doing this thing. Hey, this is working a bit. But I don't think you're getting a lot of good data in there because the the, the coaching, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, I'm just not impressed with. Like they're going to need people that actually know how to coach up the positions. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, I guess it's like just trying to get the most of what they currently have. Like I did like last week too, whenever we saw Justin Reed and Lonnie Johnson Jr. do a bunch of edge blitzing. Like that was cool. And like actually finding some sort of role for Lonnie Johnson instead of just staying in the middle of the field with, you know, nothing, nothing to do. Uh, we'll also be interesting to kind of see as this year goes on all at the same time. So we had two listener questions I wanted to get to. The first okay. is from Rivers McCowan. Uh, our best friend, he asked, is there a single Texan outside of Laramie Tensel and Deshaun Watson that you would trade a sec- that you would trade for a second round pick? Boy. Or I guess that you would not trade for a second round pick. So not- would you trade Titus Howard for a second round pick? Would you trade Nick Martin for a second round pick, et cetera? Well, Nick Martin, sure. But who would <laughs> do that? I mean, that's, that's the bigger question. The bigger question is like who who would make that trade for a lot of the players on the team? Yeah, I can't think of anybody that they could get. When we talked about this kind of earlier in the year two at the trade deadline, and even if you look at it in the springtime, like I think the, the guy probably stands out most is like a tradable asset, maybe Brand Cooks, but he has like a contract of, you know, like $12 million next year. And there's the idea of him being more than a deep threat. And he hasn't even been a deep threat at all this year. And he's going to be 28 next season. He hasn't really won that well, that well with speed alone. He hasn't really stretched the field all that well. And he doesn't win very well at like the catch point. And like, you're not, you couldn't trade Zach Cunningham, but Narja McKinney could be traded, but no, I think the second round pick there as well too. Howard. I mean, I, I would keep around just because of his contract, but I don't think anybody would give the second round pick for Howard even. So I really, I really don't know at all. I don't think there is a player I think Rivers kind of stumped us on this one. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you did it, Rivers. I think maybe that's what he was trying to do. I don't know if he had any ulterior moves at all. But I think that's kind of like the hard thing for the next you know, general manager to the same time where he's going to make trades to try to make, um, they're going to try to make trades to, to try add, you know, try to add, you know, picks because they don't have any at all outside the first and second round next year. And so it's like, well, who are you going to trade and what are you going to be able to get? Like, even trading, you know, like Cooks for a fourth round pick would be a good move, it seems like. Um, just because of the salary cap problems that they have, it'd be better than outright cutting him. So all that's going to be really interesting to see what occurs, you know, whenever March rolls around next year after they have their guy in place. Oh, sure. So the next question here is from Asmuth Grandma, and he asked, has Rivers McCount secretly been practicing voodoo, and should we replace this Justin Reed doll with a Vernon Hargreaves doll? <laughs> I love I love Justin Reed as a player. I really do. I I think that I think this I think the defensive roster right now is in just such a state where players cannot be their best because they can't they can't necessarily depend on on the teammates around them. Um so I mean I think some of the struggles that we've seen of players this year have been kind of like, Hey, you didn't have a camp and this roster doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think that, that I, I have, I have good thoughts for him in the long term. Yeah, I do. I do as well too. And um, this just kind of goes in line also with, you know, Justin Reed posting that tweet after uh, Rivers posted him missing that tackle. And then, and coming out next week, having last yesterday having like a really great game, probably the best game he's had this year. Just seemed like as a tackling, as far as a tackler goes. And then you know, told me he really appreciates him. So maybe maybe that's a very hard Graves career has been missing is uh, some you know social media motivation. And so the last question I have here for tonight is from at uprooted Texan, and he asked why won't Adjack Easterby 
debate me about the Texans general manager position. I would like to see that debate. I I would be curious to see um, how he, how he looks at his, his Twitter feed. Cause I can tell you that most active GMs do not have a big Twitter presence and he tweets all the time, but he doesn't respond to tweets. And it always, it almost feels like it's like a bunch of subtweets to, to the rest of us when, when you see Jack Easterby's Twitter feed. So maybe, maybe he is debating right now. Maybe, maybe his subtweeting is <laughs> his method of, of debating. Yeah, there's definitely like a season of True Detective there somewhere. Uh, whenever I think about Jack Easterby, I think of him like as some like Gnostic archon, like the judge in Blood Meridian or even like the Yellow King in, in True Detective. Like he's some like vile you know, force that has been here you know, since the creation of the earth that you know, will never go away at all, no matter how bad you try to shoot him off. Well, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a very weird vibe because for somebody with as much power as he has, he really hasn't interacted with with anyone outside the building a lot. So basically they're asking us to trust that they know what they're doing with this. And then, you know, there's been a couple of articles recently saying, you know, really we'll vouch for him. He's a really good guy and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, those are all on the record. And then the things not on the record are, Hey, it's pretty curious what's on his resume and, you know, what, how he's gotten this much power this quickly. And, you know, there's just a lot of people that want a, a clean slate and it's going to be really hard to kind of justify if it's not. I mean, I, I actually feel kind of bad for the next GM because they are really going to um, have to sell it. I mean, I think, I think the best thing that the Texans could do right now would be, kind of trying to make more peace with their fan base mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, we screwed up. And it's not just on Bob. We need to work on our processes and we need to not take the fans for granted. And we're going to do these particular things to, to regain trust with you. And we understand we don't have that trust right now. Yeah. That's, we haven't had that. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it because that Jamie Roots quote came out and how he kind of bragged about, well, like, you know, we always hit our bottom line no matter what the team is doing. Like, yeah, because people from Texas really like football. And it's pretty easy to have a, a successful and profitable football team from a monetary st standpoint uh, in the state of Texas, you know, simply because of that. But yeah, that was kind of one of the things about the Bill O'Brien firing too, where like it, it felt like, like an exorcism where it felt great to like have our football team back again. And now it, it really does seem like after some of the other stuff has kind of come out and kind of the decision-making process and once you kind of think past Bill O'Brien that, you know, we're not entirely out of the woods just yet. And there's a lot more, you know, hurdles, you know, in front of, um, you know, Cal McNair's ability to like develop another good football team in Houston again. And you know, even though they have Watson, it's still, we're still far and away from like 2021 being perfect and beautiful again. And uh, even if, you know, firing Bill O'Brien is kind of the first step in that. Well, I mean, hello, the, the press conference they had after getting rid of, of DeAndre Hopkins was atrocious, atrocious, you know, talking to the fans. Uh, I, now, I, I will say that maybe my, my view is skewed because I was in the middle of having COVID. Uh, 
I saw that particular transaction, like, oh, great, we're getting a running back that was good three <laughs> who had a, a contract that everybody thought was untradeable. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Oh, you're getting rid of, like, even though you know you're not going to have a real training camp, you're getting rid of the wide receiver that he has great chemistry with because he's a great wide receiver. So like that was a lot. And then the, the way that they justified it afterwards was absolutely insulting. Mm. Like they've been insulting us for the last couple of years. Like we have this flat org and it's going to be great. And we got rid of Bob and now everything's going to be great. And, you know, and, you know, we're, we're, getting rid of the PR person in the middle of the season for very strange reasons we're not really getting into, but we're kind of getting into. I mean, it's very, like, why should we trust? Why should we trust what's going on? Why should we trust it? And I think the answer is they need to acknowledge that they screwed up, that, you know, that they need to re-earn our trust. And and the way we know that they screwed up was because like they fired their head coach. He went four games into the season. <laughs> the person who was the GM also, that they chose to do that. Like that was nuts. Yeah, I don't I don't want to muddy what you just said at all by adding to it at all. I think that's a, a really good way to put it in kind of like even even though it's a little dour though, I think it's I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind that even though Bill O'Brien's not here, like there still are a lot of other issues kind of here at the same time. And like, it's, it's far and away from being like a done deal that, you know, everything will be solved immediately after the season is over. And once they sign a head coach and general manager as well too. Um, so Steph, where can we, where can we read your stuff at? And also what are you working on now since you don't have the game previews? I liked reading yours cause I stopped writing mine for the same reasons that nobody was really kind of writing them. I was like, I'm spending, you know, 16 hours around this game preview and it's 4,000 words. I'm, I'm a lunatic and nobody's really reading it, so I stopped mine too. And it's kind of sad whenever you and Rivers lost yours because I lost uh, mine in a different sort of way, you know. Yeah, you know, I I have to say that lately I haven't been writing a lot because I'm just trying to stop making sense of the world. Like when things are going kind of weird, like sometimes you just need to stop making sense and just kind of take things as they're coming in. So, but I mean, I'm still watching things carefully. I'm still taking in the information. So, I mean, if people want to get a hold of me, they can reach me on, on Twitter at Steph Stradley with P H S T R A D L E Y. And, you know, like I answer individual questions, but right now I'm not writing unless the muse, um, overtakes me and and all all my um, writing can be accessed through the bio on my twitter so i have my texan stuff at the houston chronicle and then all of my non-texan stuff at my personal blog and you can reach that blog by typing in stephaniestradley.com or stephstradley.com or stradleylaw backslash blog.com or something like that Yeah, I would also, I know like a lot of people know, I mean, just about everybody who listens to podcasts knows like your text and stuff, but also like, your personal stuff is really good as well too. And I have like, you know, one or two of them bookmarked that I'll check out, you know, every like two or three months or so. Because um, one, one, one of the things that you wrote about your sister is really pretty. And, oh. uh, and it's always a good reminder that I like to have, you know, they're in my back pocket whenever things become a little too gray, you know? 
Well, you know, I, I kind of think that if everybody just contributes what they're good at in society, uh, it just makes things good for everybody else. And so I like putting things on on the blog that don't quite fit other places um, and other places I might write, but just want to put, put it out there for the world just to be beneficial to people because... You know, I'm not a billionaire. I can't give away money like that, but I can give away just some thoughts that might be helpful to people. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I like that a lot. I liked a lot of things that you said a lot, and uh, and I feel bad. I, it was a lot of fun speaking to you tonight. I feel like I have a better understanding like the past like six years and what just happened, and also at the same time, I feel even more confused and uh, conflicted <laughs> and worse about you know what's going to happen between now and then. So between between now and January. What I'm going to do my best I can is just like enjoying every Texans game as we have it and just like enjoy Robert yes. Johnson cut blocks because soon all that other stuff without football will be here and it may be even more messy than uh, than even the most negative person would expect it to be in some ways. Well, you know, this is what I want to manifest. You know, the past is stuck. The past is the past. But there are so many alternative futures and some of those alternative futures for the Texans are good. And I don't think that the people running the Texans don't care about winning. They definitely care about winning. Sometimes they just don't know the right way. And hopefully, hopefully they pick some good picks. And even if they pick the best people for GM and the best coach, there's no guarantees with that. But we're not in the same position that we've been in for the last multiple years where you pretty much could guess what was going to happen for the season just by seeing, you know, the roster moves. Like there are some possible alternative futures that are good <laughs> and we should just go on this ride and enjoy the journey and recognize that coaches come and go, even owners come and go, but we're Texans. We're along for the ride. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's now I feel a lot better. I'm going to sleep a lot better tonight. And, and whenever I walk okay. the dog tomorrow, I'll feel a lot better as well. Oh, good. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to Ballard Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Steph. I'm excited for every ride again. I'm excited to, to keep it with your Twitter feed as you, you continue to, to help me better understand like what's going on with like the ownership and the Jack Eastry situation and the coaching situation because there's a lot of stuff that I'm not the best at like understanding. Uh, I like, you know, I'm better at understanding kind of stuff on the line of scrimmage instead in, in a lot of ways. But uh, hopefully I can speak to you, you know, sometime soon, uh, at least not even through online, but through here, maybe after the Texans have a head coach and general manager and we can make some better sense of things. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to the radio. Thank you for being on site, Steph. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.